0: Okay, well, welcome back to the Faith and Justice Network podcast. I'm Danielle. I get to chat to really cool people about their spiritual practices, and I just love it. And I love that there are people who want to listen in because I'm not the only weirdo that wants to know, you know, how, how does all this work in our actual lives? And uh, faith is so much weirder than we often um, make it out to be on social media or in our church gathering. So people are weird. People are religious, people are spiritual, and I have a great person to talk to today that fits into a lot of those categories. Yes. (laughs) Um, So today I'm so excited I get to talk to Emmy Kegler. And uh, Emmy already knows that I'm like a low church, you know, somebody who doesn't know a lot. So Emmy, you are a reverend, a priest. Tell me, tell me the correct (laughs) vernacular.
1: We should just like have you get a, a die and roll it and see which side comes up. Exactly. Yeah, so um, officially, uh, like on government documents, my title is reverend, which okay. is sort of the, the catch-all term for um, anyone ordained within a Christian tradition. Uh, within my tradition, which is Lutheran, I'm called a pastor okay yeah yeah I
0: grew up a pastor's kid and so that's like Mm -hmm. my catch-all for everyone right Uh, but then I'm like I know there's other streams so
1: anyways right Episcopalian uh Episcopalian reverends would not be down with being called a pastor that is not their style oh yeah and
0: and like you call them mother sometimes right if anyways I don't know any of these things but we'll just call you Reverend Emmy for Emmy,
1: please just Emmy (laughs) oh my goodness (laughs) So I, I've i known about you for a, a while
0: because, you know, you're on social media and you're a writer. And so obviously the the world of like sort of Christian writers isn't ginormous. So you've been on my radar. Um, I really think I officially met you in the kind of sad circumstances at uh, Rachel Held Evans' funeral. That's yeah, where I that's think right. I met you in real life. Um, and your, And your works are just in this genre I think of as, you know, books that have helped me say, I think... I think there's a future for me to be a Christian still because mm. you have just fought extremely hard for your faith and it comes through in your writings and it comes through in how you engage scripture. And so I just love, uh, I just love your book. So, you know, your first book was, oh my gosh, I'm going to mess up the title. One I coin found. Not, you nailed not, it. Not one coin lost. I don't know why that, that title comes to my mind is one coin found. And then uh, you, your most recent book is, so impactful to me it's called all who are weary and it's about it's both for people who have mental illness and people who love people uh with mental illness and so it's just yeah it's just so it's so powerful i would really recommend that to anybody especially if you're in ministry but it's not just for people in ministry it's for anybody who wants to know how how can i be in relationship with people um, with mental illness so so i mean all of these things are so so important to me but i just wonder if you want to just add anything else to the listeners to to tell them who you are?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I'm a Lutheran pastor. So I'm ordained and, and I serve within the tradition that's called the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. And we can unpack a little bit about that word choice uh, from the 1980s that... Um, maybe has not done what the the ELCA wanted it to do, but that's the tradition in which I serve. I've been officially ordained and serving for almost six years. It'll be six years in April. Um, I serve in Minneapolis. I'm a solo pastor at a small, um, technically inner city, but sort of a neighborhood congregation. And um, I'm married. I'm married to a veterinarian. Her name is Michelle, or as I often call her on social media, Dr. Wife. Uh, predominantly because I used to post so many pictures and talk about her on social media that people, you know, back in the before times when we would go to conferences, if we went together, people would be like, hi, Michelle. And she was like, I have no idea who you are. And then they'd be like, oh, I know know you from Emmy's Twitter. And she'd be like, okay. And she's like, can you like... (laughs) could you just change could you change my name just so i have like a heads up when someone greets me that they don't actually like that i've not met them before because you know there's there's nothing worse than somebody coming up to you and saying hi danielle how are you and you're like i was better before i had to talk to somebody who knows my name and i don't recognize them which means that i have failed as as a human being in a society because i've forgotten your name in this relational exchange um So yeah, so my wife's a veterinarian uh, and I adore her greatly. And we have two dogs and a cat and a baby on the way in September. Oh
0: oh my gosh, so exciting. So amazing. So so those are
1: very important parts of my life. And also I do a lot of, um, I don't usually call it online ministry because that's not really how I think about it, but I do a lot of work online that serves in a ministerial purpose. So I run an encyclopedia or like a, a free website that collates a lot of resources from around the internet um, on LGBTQIA life and Christian faith. Mm. And that's a lot of what my first book is about, is about my call to ministry and and wrestling with and coming to love scripture, um, despite its, you know, use and abuse against me and people like me. And then uh, my second book being about um mental illness is largely informed by my pastoral work but also by my personal experience um i've lived with depression for over 20 years and social anxiety for like we're still kind of hashing out the timeline on that because i used to say it was post-college and now we're starting to go like ooh, there were some things going on in elementary and middle school that were like "Mm, let's just say not neurotypical so Mm -hmm. what was that about Mm -hmm. um so we're doing we're doing some work on that in therapy, but um, yeah, I don't. I was... No, that's great. That was perfect. Those are, and I, those are starting points, <laughs> and I love it. Even when you were describing this like
0: supposed interaction between you know someone coming up to me knowing my name, I don't know them. I was like, everything you just said is like my internal. Uh, conversation I have because I have anxiety um, and so I was like oh and this is why I just love talking to you I was like you get what it's like to live with anxiety uh, you also get what it's like to live with depression um, all of this informs your background now again I am just such a Fine. low church weirdo but when I, do you ever get surprised when people are are like when you tell people I'm a you know I'm a gay pastor or reverend and i'm in the lutheran church do people do like a head scratch like or record scratch, like, because I, I don't th- always think of like Lutherans as being as cool as you are. Is that terrible to say? Uh, no shade,
1: no shade to Lutherans. No, you know no, I, mean? I think that's no, 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 no. You're hitting on a really important thing, which is this, this strange thing that has happened in a lot of spaces where places we might think of as more high church, like the Episcopal Church, mm-hmm. has also been very upfront with like, We are affirming, we are welcoming, like, I think the Episcopal um, diocese in Texas or one of the cities in Texas, I don't remember the geographic setup for the Episcopal church down there, my apologies to my Texan friends, Um, but they were, you know, as soon as Abbott released his, like, we're going to prosecute, you know, and and suggest parents should be reported to CPS for supporting kids that are trans or Mm -hmm. non-binary, Immediately, the, the diocese, the Episcopal diocese in Texas was like, we're not going to participate in this. We and all our priests will be supportive to these families and encouraging to them. So we have these churches that are thought of as more, um, you know, you keep sort of uh, deridingly calling yourself low church and we might deridingly call them smells and bells.
0: <laughs> For high church, smells and bells. For high church.
1: Yeah, because they like do the incense and they have a <laughs> yeah, bell choir and yeah, an organ yeah. and like 18 different vocal choirs um and i just want to point out that i was raised episcopal so like this oh. is a statement coming from a place of love and the lutheran church is living in this weirder space where we are a little more flexible on the formation of our liturgy so episcopal churches things we might think of as more traditionally high church they um the the way that you the way that an episcopal church lives out its episcopacity which is a word i just made up um is <laughs> in uh, a worship that looks the same from church to church so they use the book of common prayer Mm -hmm. and lutheran churches are a little more flexible on liturgical practices so you can get very high church lutherans and very low church lutherans and all across the way in between um and i would say i started as a high church lutheran and now i'm like uh i don't even i like i i think the spectrum of high and low is is irrelevant and i think i'm just like off in the wilderness church at this point so like high low whatever the heck um I'm just singing on a different scale at this point um which is a fancy way to say that I've gone low church enough that I'll probably get in trouble at some point but that's fine I don't care
0: um and and that's because you care about people I mean I maybe I'm just putting words in your mouth but I'm just like you are flexible because you're like the world is changing like what do we do to reach people maybe again maybe I'm putting words in your mouth and that's not true but
1: and I the thing is I don't want to denigrate high church in that sense like I don't want to say high church is doesn't can't do that because it can um I think one like where I'm being moved right now is into this space that does a lot of work with people who are post-evangelical or even Mm ex-evangelical but still trying to hold on to these threads of Christianity or or something that looks like believing in Jesus and make sense out of that and for a lot of them, higher church language, higher church liturgy, where we say things like, you know, if you'd like to join um, our altar guild, you can meet us after worship in the narthex. And they just go, I have no idea what you just said. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. When I'm working with a lot of people that are not coming out of higher church traditions, where church vocabulary can be exclusionary, I'm I'm more likely to just reduce that, <laughs> reduce yeah. that than do pedagogical work. Because my pedagogical interest is more about like scripture and Bible. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't make me better than other people. It's just that like, that's where my ministry has led me. Um, yeah. And, and a lot of that has been informed by work with the, the queer community at large since, um, 2014 it has just been, I've really been informed by a lot of the intersectional work that's happening in the LGBTQIA community and the ways that Christianity, um, needs to, like is so deeply desired within that community but there's so much so much abuse. So.
0: Oh, I think that's such a good way to frame this because um you know the Faith and Justice Network is obviously a place where people are showing up and being a part of this program because they do want to you know keep some of these threads and then they really don't want a lot of the other ones and I think you're exactly right that The queer community has been doing this work for a really, really, really long time. And uh, there's so much wisdom to be found by people who have said, despite all of the ways, yeah, you already said it, but all the ways you've used used the Bible against me, I'm still here and I still have faith. And so I think that's just why it's so powerful to me, just to even be an observer of your theology and the work you do online. And that's why I want to talk to you today because... I think, you know, there's some spiritual practices in the way you approach social media. But before we jump into that, I always, and we've already just jabbered so long because I knew this was going to happen. I wanted to ask you, uh, like ask everybody, you know, how are you coming into this space today? Just tell us whatever you want in that regard.
1: Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm living in this, this tension point of, um, we're, you know, six months out from the birth of our first child who we've been working towards for two years, um, And we're so, so, so excited. Um, And also, you know, terrified. And my wife, who is the pregnant one, is exhausted. Um, We're into second trimester, but we haven't really seen her energy come back yet. So that's been rough. And at the same time, we're, you know, on this precipice, at least in a lot of Minnesotan churches and in the Twin Cities, um, where a lot of my colleagues and I sort of consult with each other, that we're dropping masking requirements in churches, Mm. you know, making masking optional, or some people are saying like all COVID protocols are, are done. Like we're not doing social distancing. We're not doing anything. And, um, my wife and I are both fully vaccinated and boosted. Uh, we wear N95s basically where whenever we go anywhere, she works, um, you know, veterinary space, very (laughs) open to scientific understandings. Everybody there is masked. And I am in this really tense space of being so happy about our our forthcoming baby and so terrified about what the next couple months might be if we're dropping mm-hmm. masking requirements. And like, what if I bring COVID home to my wife from church? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What if I give COVID to my immunocompromised, like, because she's pregnant,
0: mm-hmm. pregnant
1: wife? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what if we don't, like, what if we drop mask requirements too soon and we get another freaking surge. And so COVID is still a thing in September. And it means once again, for the third year in a row, my wife and I are not leaving the house mm. because we will have a tiny little baby that's immunocompromised. Like, so I'm living in this really tense space right now, um, which I know is not, um, not unusual for a lot of my pastor friends. We've all, like a lot of us have been on Marco Polos and other social places this week, just chatting with each other going like, I have kids that can't, like, I have kids that are under five. What do I do? Yeah. Yeah. My church isn't like my church isn't willing to keep requiring masking and I'm employed by them. Yeah, So like, I can't really, like, I can't choose to not go to church. So, um, so that's the space that I'm in this morning of just like, so excited, so happy, so nervous.
0: Oh, even as you're talking, I just, I just grieve for you. And I grieve for a lot of people who are like, you know, as the world rushes back to what it calls normal, you know, there's so many people who are like, but what about me? And, and I don't envy your position. You know, I am just like, my son turned six last year. And so he is able was able to get the booster, you know, and I just, mm. I don't take that for granted at all. Um, But mm-hmm. there's so many people who I, I think you're right. We're showing up to this space today, like Oregon is dropping our mask mandate in a week. And My kid, you know, I have one kid who goes to school, one kid who, due to their own um, complex disabilities, cannot go to school. But my kid who does go to school, like, he's going to have to make a choice. Is he going to keep wearing his mask? And he wants to. He really wants to. And I'm just like, I think... You should, if you want. It's so confusing, and it's just so hard. And just thank you for bringing that tension into this conversation, because so many people Good are morning. feeling.
1: Let's it.
0: get anxious. <laughs> well, I already was, but thank you. No, yeah. But here's the deal. Here's here's something about my anxiety and depression: is hearing other people say, "I'm not okay." I'm not okay and I'm not going to pretend. It's actually really helpful to me and maybe that's terrible. But it also speaks to this tension we feel and and just the past 2 years, but really, you know, the past what, 6 years has been such an exercise in understanding like the people with power and the people who hold power like need us to buy into their illusion that everything is going great and, you know, I'm never going back to that. I'm not sure I ever was there. But what do you do? What do you do when you're like, things suck? Um, right. and how do you and how do you keep showing up? So I'm I'm right there with you. I'm not as in intensive a space as you. But thank you just for showing up and for being somebody in ministry who is holding all these tensions. And I just I just really appreciate you sharing that with us.
1: Yeah. How are you showing up today? Oh well. <sighs> Oh, Evie. Um, I actually want to been a pastor on your podcast if you I don't f- want me to ask the questions back.
0: I feel super good because I'm talking to you and and I just Aww. shared like that's totally a part of my self-care. My spiritual practices is like I am on a quest to find other people who are like I'm actually not doing great. um, But here I am. And, you know, this is why I love your writing. And this is why. I love the ministry that you were doing. So I'm actually doing good because I'm talking to you um, and maybe I'll just share something really random, but we are trying to find a a dog for our family. And so everybody in my family is obsessed right now with trying to figure out dogs and what dog would be a good fit for us. So I'm feeling excited, but extremely stressed out about that. And that sounds so stupid to say, but that's
1: true. That's the truth. No, that's so (laughs) exciting. Oh my gosh. I love dogs. Um, I did not, I, I did not grow up with like I grew up with dogs that were really smelly and oily and drooly. And so yes. I did not like dogs. No. No. And then I met um when my wife and I started talking on OK Cupid back in the <laughs> OG online dating days. Like, I don't even know if OK Cupid still exists. Um and um she was like, I have two dogs, and I was like, mmm, this is not gonna work. <gasps> I know. A deal breaker. <laughs> And I was like, okay, but she's really cute. So whatever. And then I met her dogs and they're these two little shih tzus. So they, um, they don't really shed. They're not smelly. They're very like relatively clean dogs. Um, and they're just the cutest little things. And one of them has separation anxiety. And so, like, I just bonded to her right away because I was like, it's me in dog form. Like, it's me in dog form. Um, yes, yes. And so, so I bonded to that to that dog. And she's just, she's, like, my little soul dog now. Um, and I just, like, I love seeing people get dogs and, like, find the dog that sort of connects with them and, like, works with their family's energy and their family setup. It's, ju- it's just delightful. They're just, yeah. they're wonderful.
0: I'm, I'm now on the train in my... Uh, My older child is the one who's been researching dogs and, and came in, you know, told me all this information. Like, here's how a dog could help me with my anxiety. Here's how a dog could help me with this and this and this. And I was so impressed. Like my kid did the research and has convinced me, but now this is so stupid, but I do tell my kid, I'm like, we're going to pray. That God helps us find the right dog for our family, and i just Why is like, that stupid? Well, I, I I grew up extremely extremely religious, and like I tried to gain my parents' approval by being very religious. So I don't do a ton of like religious language talk with my kids at all, and, and like they have no clue how in how religious I am in my core. But they see glimpses of it. And it did make my kid feel better when I was like, we don't have to stress. We don't have to worry. I truly think it's going to work out and that God will help us get a dog. How are we talking about dogs on this podcast about spiritual practices? I'm
1: shocked right now. Okay. But I'm going to counter that. Um, I'm going to counter that and say like, owning a dog has been a spiritual practice for me because it means that I, I have something that I need to take care of. Mm. Um, and we saw this in the pandemic and we see this with people who live with, um, like sort of, you know, like chronic and vaguely manageable mental illnesses in the category of like depression and social anxiety, where like you still have the capacity to get up and leave the bed and, and deal with reality as it is, um, in a distinction from like, um, Maybe bipolar episodes or episodes of psychosis, which I think mm-hmm. are are different, although dogs can absolutely be helpful with those. But, like, when you have difficulty getting up and feeding yourself and taking care of, like, basic human needs, having a dog, I mean, having a cat, too, because I love cats. Um, but I think really having a dog, because a dog will come bug you. A dog will be like, you need to take me outside. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um you need to, you know, you need to feed me. And, you know, especially for me with a little separation anxiety dog, like the way that I talk to her has changed some of the ways that I talk to myself of just like, like, you're not a bad dog. You're not a bad dog for like trying to chew through your kennel or, you know, like following me into every part of the house or being, you know, obsessive or, you know, she does, she has like little obsessive sort of tics. Like she'll lick her paws when she's anxious. And I'm like, okay, like, You're just anxious. Like, you just, you don't know. Like, you, I don't have the way to, like, write on your brain that, like, no, I'm always coming back. And so I I'm try, like, over the past um, seven years of relationship with this dog, I do try to talk to myself that way a little more, too, of just, like, like, honey, it's, like, I get it. I get that your brain cannot absorb the fact that everything's okay, but it is. And I'm still going to act as if it is, even though this, like, part of you cannot absorb that. Oh! Well, <laughs> so like I will oh. insist that dogs are a spiritual practice.
0: I don't know why that just really touched me, and I am. Here's the weird thing: I've, I'm just like cat lady. I'm a hundred percent cat lady. I have two cats right now, and I'm just been like, I'm not a dog person. I don't get it. Um and so now it's a weird world of being like dogs can really help people and they're great for co-regulation and emotional support and mm-hmm. all these things so i'm on a journey i totally think you're right but this is a wild reframing for me because i'm you know 100% cat lady um.
1: <laughs> i'm also like i want to say i'm a cat person we yeah. just got a we got a new cat a month ago because our previous cat passed away which was oh. awful oh. um and we loved him so much. And this new cat is like super bonded to me because I'm home. I work from home and he loves to He'll cuddle for three to four hours a day. He'll follow me around just like screaming for cuddles. And I'm like, okay, thank thank you. But also like his co-regulation, that's not really co-regulating. That's <laughs> the cat wants snuggles. Um, and there will be nothing done until the cat receives snuggles. Uh, versus the dog is just like, if I can sit by your feet, I'm Okay. And like, oh, you want me in your, you want me in your lap? You want me like right next to you now? Okay, great. I'm on board. And obviously that has to do with the personality of the animal too. Um, But yeah, the dog's just like very consistent, unconditional love and adoration in, I think, a way that like, that God also looks at us in this sense of just like, I'm here for you when you're ready. Like, I'm patient. I'm willing to be part of this. Also, if you don't nurture the relationship with me, things deteriorate for both of us. And Mm. so, like, there's just dogs. I mean, (laughs) as much as dogs are just a whole nother breed. No, they're another species than cats. But um, who needs to be scientific this early in the morning?
0: Wow. I just feel I feel like anybody listening to this who's a dog person is like going, yes. And anybody who's not is like, what are you guys talking about? That's fine. (laughs) We're here for everybody. Everybody's welcome to listen. Um, Okay, so. We could talk about dogs for a long time, but I did want to chat with you about some of the some of the practices you've been doing um, that have been more public facing and the spiritual practices you've been sort of focusing on inviting people to join you in them. And so this is going to be, I mean, and there's other things you do as well, but I attended a online communion service that you did. Mm-hmm. It was just last week. It feels like months ago. It feels Time like is yesterday, but it was last Sunday. Is that correct? Yeah. You yeah. you created like a virtual space for communion. I'm just going to talk about it really quick and then I'm going to let you jabber about it. But for me, I have a very odd relationship with communion. Just growing up a pastor's kid, we did it every week and you uh, needed to feel really bad about yourself and confess all your sins. And then you take your little cup of grape juice and your little sliver And, you know, so every once in a while, there's like a big deal, like if you've offended anyone, you must go and apologize to them. So I'd always have to go tell my sisters, I'm sorry for screaming at you, you know, and then take my communion. Even like going to Bible college, going to all these churches was like, I dreaded the communion more than any part of the service because I was like. You got to whip yourself into feeling really bad that Jesus died for your sins. And I just didn't get any of it. I just didn't understand it. I didn't understand the ritual. I didn't understand what is meaningful for people. It just made me feel bad, 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 bad. Cut to, we go to a church that only does communion once a month now. I usually am not there when it does it. Then the pandemic happened. And I don't, I think maybe once I did online communion until you had this space. And it was like, really transformative for me to show up and to experience communion the way you like encouraged us to take it and i don't know how else to say it besides that i i remember reading this book by sarah miles way back in the day called take this bread Mm -hmm. and i just was so jealous the whole time i read that book uh because it's about she had this transformative experience taking communion that letter to becoming a Christian, all this stuff. But I never had that. And the closest I think I had was last Sunday. I was like, is this that Sarah Miles shit? Like, am I (laughs) on it now? Like, what is happening? And it was so awesome. And so much of that was because of the intentionality you put into this space. Now, did you have people like me in mind? People like me who are
1: terrified of communion? Tell me, tell me everything. Um, How did this come about? I don't I don't think I had people in mind who were terrified of communion. Also, I'm going to apologize for being distracted, but the cardinal that lives in our yard, Charlemagne, um is currently hanging out around my my window and so I'm just looking at him going, "Gosh, you're handsome." Aww. Um uh I named him Charlemagne. That's not, that might not be his (laughs) name. That's not his Um, God-given name. Okay. Okay. Right, 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 (laughs) right. Also, I learned this year that cardinals don't usually leave their, like, they don't go a mile from where they're born. Like, they're just, they just hang out. Oh, alocavores. Okay. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And he comes to my feeder. I feel so special. Okay. Oh. Um, Which I think kind of flows into, (laughs) you know, as a, like a good pastor who did a lot of youth pastoring, I'll just, you know, like, I love feeding a cardinal, but you know, who really loves feeding is Jesus. Oh, Um, look at the birds of the air. There
0: we go. Yeah, exactly.
1: So, um, and, and my like interpretation and, and expectations when I come to communion has been so radically transformed over the past 20 years, but especially in my work with the queer community and then especially during the pandemic and, um, I've always just really loved communion. It was very formal in the Episcopal church that I grew up in, which is, you know, normal. Um, I never went through a first communion process, uh, which is very common in a lot of mainline churches where you have this, like children cannot receive until they've gone through a first communion process. And we can think of it in the sort of stereotypical Catholic way where you got to dress up all in white and you, like the girls wear a little veil because they're, I don't fully understand it. I think they're a bride of Jesus. Nuns are brides. So I don't get it. I find it weird um but the, I understand that that is a tradition that's not mine so I don't mm-hmm, mm-hmm. really like I don't understand it fully enough to be able to say it's weird um but it's weird <laughs> uh, but so episcopalians um episcopal churches lutheran churches united church of christ presbyterian methodist etc they usually have this process of education around what is communion and do you fully understand it it's often sort of age or grade based like okay the third you know third grade sunday school goes through this couple months lessons around first communion and then or around what what does communion mean for us and then you know maybe on monday thursday on our pentecost sunday or some important liturgical calendar day um please tell me if i need to like drill that down a little more no um, it's good
0: i think you're good okay. yeah
1: um, then, then, you know, like the kids get to have their first communion. I didn't have that because we switched churches and the church that we left did first communion later and the new church did it earlier. You so just like, skipped it. Yeah. I just skipped, I just like, I got there and they were like, here's communion. And I was like, oh, okay, great. Um, I, I was not, you know, perturbed about that, which is funny considering how hyper religious I was, um, which was not, I think about pleasing my parents. Uh, I remember reading an article 15 years ago that was like, some people just have, very strong inclination to religious faith from a dna perspective like they could trace Mm, it sort of mm. and so and this was during the like early zeros when we were like hey you guys we've like cracked the genome let's like figure out all of your personality traits based on your dna and then the world fell apart and we were like never mind there's some other things to do um i'm so sorry this is just the way my brain works which is why i have an editor communion um the thing that I've been really moved by especially in Lutheran practice um in theology is this idea that it's not just a remembrance of um the the action that Christ took for us 2000 years ago which is very meaningful for some people right and that's more common in episcopal methodist presbyterian churches Lutheran theology talks about Christ being truly present in that moment of communion and especially in that moment of of one person saying to another this is Christ's body given for you this is Christ's blood given for you beautiful like like li- like literally this is happening and Christ mm-hmm. is present mm-hmm. with us which is astronomically world upending for me in the sense that like God loves you enough to be this small. God wants to be mm. close to you so much that God will indwell in bread for this moment of exchange. So that you like, God is so desperate to, to awaken us to how close God is to us that God will become small enough to fit in bread and wine.
0: Wow.
1: Um Like, I love that, that like, I'm very on board with that. And especially for, um, People who've been ostracized by the church, people within the queer and trans community, people who, you know, are left out of church for any number of reasons. To say, like, God is fully present to you in this moment without barrier um, is really transformative for me. And I tend to fall a little more towards the, like, uh, open, and we, so, so uh, the debate is often called like open table or closed table. Uh, where a closed table is you need to be a member of the church, or you need to be a member in good standing, or you need to have gone and apologized to your sisters in order to be able to receive. (laughs) Um, You need to have gone to confession the night before. If you grew up in a Roman Catholic practice, Um, I'm much more in an open table um, to the point of being basically heretical, which is Mm. like the promise that I was taught in Lutheran theology is Jesus said, this is my body given for you to a whole group of people, including the person who's about to betray him. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I do not have, if if Jesus has promised to be present in the bread, I do not have the capacity to say to someone, you don't get Jesus. That is not a capacity. I, as a human feel like I get to make. Now I get that people come to the table in a different way. And I don't like, I don't want to say my way is better. This is just like where my ministry and my work has led me to say like, Jesus is here for you. And I'm just the conduit who can speak the words so that you can hear it from someone else. Um, and that became so important and, and, um, upside and, and turned upside down again for me in the pandemic where mm-hmm. a lot of churches, including the Lutheran church said, we're going to fast from communion while we're doing online worship. So like, especially in March, 2020, when just like everything, you know, not everything, yeah. but a good number of things mm-hmm. shut down. you know, we talk about like everything shut down, but it didn't. And that's why we're still in a pandemic two years later is because we didn't have the capacity to shut down our society, um, and just, you know, stay home and w- sort of wait it out um i mean there's that's reductionistic but i know like that's one of the major reasons that we're still here um but the church said like we're gonna fast from communion because um because of reasons but what it came down to um in particularly even the lutheran church is like virtually performed communion is not real because you Mm. need to be physically present to the other person and I was like, says who? Mm. And they were like, the presiding bishop. And I was like, cool, bye. Like, I don't, I, I just, I, I will go on record right here. Mm. My bishop knows it. The presiding bishop probably doesn't know who I am, but knows that churches are doing this. I don't care. Jesus said that he would be present. Jesus said, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. Like, I do not have the capacity to say, oh, but it doesn't count if it's digital. Mm. right? Cause then can we start saying, well, it doesn't count if it's not bread, if it's not pita bread, if it's not like bread, the way Jesus would have made it, it doesn't count if it's wine. So like, if you're an alcoholic in recovery, you have to drink wine for it to be real. Cause Jesus, like Jesus used a cup of wine. So like, yeah. wh- how, when are we going to start putting like these, like the physical restriction really was not, I was not down. And um, what that opened up for me and just the reimagining of what communion can be rather than, you know, Do we do wafers or bread? Is it, you know, what wine do we have? Blah, 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 blah. And this this idea of like, this is a real thing for for the proclamation of God's presence and love with us. Why would I limit that? Yeah. And why would I limit that to, you know... and where I've been led with um, what what you've just been talking about with Emmaus Table is this has been knocking on the door of my mind for like years of just like, what if we used the virtual capacities that we have to do some kind of Christian community online? Um, and, you know, like people have been inventing this since social media existed, but now we're just so used to it. Um and just saying, like, what, as people are returning to the building, which is what everybody wants to do, like, not everybody, but well, a lot of churches, like, let's get back to the building, right? Where does that leave immunocompromised people? Where does that leave people who are disabled and physically cannot access a building? Where does that leave people who are anxious? Where does that leave people with autism for whom, like... You know, if your church does smoke and flashing lights, that's like literally not a safe space. Where does it leave queer and trans people who don't have a community around them that will serve them and respect them as they are? Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. Where does it leave like new moms or parents with like toddlers that run around and scream and won't stay in the nursery? Yes! there's, There's so many people for whom communion has been inaccessible and it became accessible during the pandemic because as things, you know, we had this whole, like, we're going to fast from communion. And then as the pandemic dragged on, we kind of dropped that language of just like, Oh, uh, okay. (laughs) It wasn't like, Oh, the fast is over. It was more just like, we're not going to talk about that anymore because I mean, my church was online for 15 months. Um, and so that, that fasting was not possible for us. And, um, I mean, I di- I didn't make it a requirement. I'll say it that way.
0: And so, 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 isn't that interesting? How like the pandemic. Has forced. It sounds like the pandemic forced, you know, the Lutheran Church in some ways to be like, okay, we have to reimagine communion, just for this time. And you're like, well, why not? Why does it have to be just for that time? And I think that's fascinating. How sometimes just like these world events can create these these quite large shifts in theology and in practice. And I love you because you're like, well, I'm not going to wait around for all of y'all to get on board, but I'm going to take the energy of this time and say. Um, there's always been people who've been excluded and we've just ignored them. And here we go. We're not gonna do that anymore. And that's the vibe I got, you know, from <laughs> from uh your communion service, which was called the Emmaus Table, right? Is that am I yeah. getting this right? Okay.
1: And I just want to point out there is also there's a church that I meets mean, I think in Portland or Seattle area, I can't remember which, that is called Emmaus Table, and I feel a little bad that's like very familiar, toes. but I don't worry about that. Um but yeah. And so, um, I am going to do it again. Um, I've now booked like more, I've figured out family calendar wise cause I'm like telling my wife, like, I think I need to do this. And she's like, mm-hmm. I don't remember if you remember, but we're having a baby in six months. <laughs> Could you not do more things? Um, and God bless them. Like some of the church ladies at my church are like, you need to back off. You like, you need to stop taking oh, on more things. Yeah. Um, just about like random to like, I was like, Oh, that's fine. I'll coordinate the super suppers. And they're like, okay, you can do it this year, but like, you have a baby on the way. Um, but yeah, so I've got some things booked and, and the six month vision is to get Emmaus. Like if there's enough desire for people to keep coming back that we'd create, you know, sort of, a um, uh, <laughs> uh, an authority sharing or a leadership sharing space. Um, mm-hmm. a lot of my work has also been informed by 12 step work. Um, Because I grew up in a family um, with alcoholism. And so I go to like Al-Anon, which is for families Mm -hmm. and friends of alcoholics, save my life in a lot of ways. And one of the things that Al-Anon does is create like a very flat leadership structure within each group. And so that would be, you know, like if if whatever this thing is that I'm doing has legs or has, you know, the draw of the spirit to pull it into the future, then I would want to make it in a way that it's not about like me. It's about... um, you know, all of us, like people being able to share that authority together. So um, if, if people are interested, um, I've, you can go to the Emmaus table.com um, or Emmaus table on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, we'll tell you more. Um, I mean, not if this episode drops the day we're recording, cause I still haven't built the website, but I bought the domain. So like, we'll find it. We'll, we'll find it. But okay. yeah, this- Yeah. Just like, how do we create that invitational sense? And that was what I really wanted to do um, at Emmaus table. And I I think it, I think it kind of worked first time around. We'll see how it keeps going.
0: It was so powerful and so profound and just, um, you know, if I have what three decades of being traumatized by communion and I loved it, you know, I think that's, that's saying something. And also you, the, the shared power was really present because you had us, um, actually give communion to other people virtually again we would say the phrases and everybody just used what they had at home and i loved big like people being like i'm taking vitamin gummies and iced coffee and i was like wow that is my life and <laughs> it was so cool because i mean i'm tired of being alone in my head with god mm-hmm. you know what i mean like i need mm-hmm. avenues to be able to experience and reclaim parts of Christian faith. Um, And while still having that awareness of like, this hasn't worked for everybody. And so we are now going to focus on the people for whom it hasn't worked. And that's what I see you doing with your ministry is like, I'm going to focus on the people for whom it hasn't worked. And actually when you do that, It's better for everyone. It literally is better for everyone. And that's something our society still hasn't grasped. And so I would encourage anybody sign up for this table thing. I will probably be there. I have social anxiety and I was a little terrified too. Like, oh no, I have to unmute myself and say some, say some religious words like, oh no. And it was awesome. It was awesome. And so again, I'm just going to throw that out there. I'm very
1: anxious and I freaking loved it. So, um,
0: you know. To me, that's very trauma-informed.
1: Everything you're doing is very trauma-informed. I mean, I, yeah, I really am trying. And I, like, already was taking furious notes. Like, I'm advancing slides with one hand, talking to the camera, and writing with my other hand. Like, okay, how can I update this liturgy? Um, Like, how can I change sort of the structure of what we're doing so that it's even more, like, trauma-informed? Like, giving, you know, an outline for, like, what's coming? What's going to happen when? um yeah. I can't remember what that's called. Um Dang it. Like, scripting? Oh, is something a, like that? Yeah, it's called a social narrative. There um, we go. Sometimes, so like, and that particularly within like autistic and neurodivergent communities. And I literally just like sat down and taught myself about this last week after participating. Like, it, not important, but um, I knew what that. I knew that phrase. I hadn't really like concretized it in my head, but just like explaining like this is what's going to happen and these are sort of normative emotional reactions to help people who are like I don't know how to be in this space understand like this is what a like a common response looks like and that's been happening for me for years around communion where people will come up and I'll like put bread in their hand at church and they're like thank you and I'm like yep you Mm -hmm. can say that (laughs) Mm -hmm. but they just have this like anxious look on their face like am I allowed to say thank you so that's now part of our communion liturgy where I say like and I have it in the bulletin so people can read it. Like you can say, thank you. You can say, amen. You can just nod your head in quiet acceptance. Like, like you can do all these things, but like people are so, I'm experiencing how many people are hungry for that kind of connection with God that Sarah Miles captured so well in her book. Cause I loved that book so mm-hmm. much. And it's, you know, the perfect encapsulation of like what high church can do pedagogically and dis- and, and spiritually and, and invitationally. Um, But like, people are hungry for that. And the more we can create avenues through which people can feel like they can approach the communion table and hear these words of like, God is here for you. Mm -hmm. That's hugely transformative. And and That's that's
0: what it's about. It's not about you feeling bad about Jesus dying for you. This is about literally God's presence in your life. And so so powerful and it just it just really helped me be like i can engage in christian rituals and and sacraments where i i think up until the past few years i've been like i don't think i can do this anymore um the sacraments in particular i will say some of that is because of listening to the way christian gatekeepers talk about sacraments is really upsetting to me but you're you're the opposite of that that's why your space is so great um I, I got it. We got to be respectful of time and yes, your time. Right. But I want to say we just talked about really, really spiritual things. But I know you have so many freaky spiritual practices that we didn't get to. Maybe that means I'll have you on again. Uh, but I will say I just saw your Twitter and you talked about <laughs> making a casserole as like this pinnacle of of um of your life. No, that's too. That's that's overstating. I was like, let, we got to talk about we got to talk about the ministry of casseroles. Can you please tell us? Yeah.
1: Um, so I I think like, I want to call it the spiritual practice of, of, of homemaking, which is distinct from housekeeping. Okay. Um, but because housekeeping is like doing chores and dusting and blah, 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 blah. Um, in, in sort of the way that I hear it in my head, but homemaking in the sense of like, I live here and it's mine and I contribute to it. Um, I think the TikTok sound right now is I work hard to make this house a home. Uh Um, and this and and then people are like sarcastically showing themselves like washing one dish you know um and for me a huge gift in my life has been um coming to understand the way that I cook and the way that I clean and the way that I take care of the physical space that I live in as a gift to myself and as a gift to those around me and I know for a lot of us who were um, assigned female ber- at birth or socialized female or identify as women now, that sense of, like, homemaking can get tied up with housekeeping. Like, this is the expectation mm-hmm. for your gender role. And for me, I mean, I was, I was raised in a, like, second wave feminist household, so I was not really instructed in that way, but it's, it pervades culturally. And for me, this idea of, like, I'm washing these dishes and I'm giving a gift to my wife. Or, like, I am going to go make myself – my Lenten practice is actually to make myself breakfast because I fall off the wagon of um, eating anything for breakfast besides coffee quite often. So my Lenten practice is that I have to eat – like, I have to eat before I drink my coffee. Um, And that's a gift. Like, that's just not – that's, like, physical care, whatever, whatever. But that's a gift to Mm. myself of, like, what food do I have in the house? What's going to nourish my body? Um, And the Ministry of Casseroles in particular was, like – this willingness to experiment a little and to trust also that I have been cooking, not like on a Gordon Ramsay level or even on a, you know, master chef level, um, you know, like the home cooks that get to go compete, but I've been cooking for long enough that I can hear a recipe described and go like, okay, I think I can recreate that. Like I can trust myself. Like, okay, what does this beef need? Well, if it's a, and it was tacho casserole, if anybody's interested, it's, I I posted on my Twitter, I'll probably put a post up on Insta about it. Um, but it's, you know, classic Midwestern dish of, like, tater tots, refried beans, beef, cheese. Delicious. Comfort it sounds food. so good. <laughs> it's so good. Um, And so, like, what is it to just, like, slow down enough in our day um, to not doom scroll? Because you can't doom scroll while you're following a recipe because your hands and your face are, mm-hmm. like, your eyes are mm-hmm. busy. Um, what does it mean to just take that time out of my day and instead of, you know, self-promotion and building my own platform or, you know, working on my endless email inbox or doom scrolling on Twitter or hope scrolling on TikTok, like, please just give me like one dose of serotonin somewhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to slow down, put that down and just focus on how do I put together something that will nourish me or someone else? Um, and i don't think that's you know limited to casseroles that can be any kind of like that's snow blowing you know getting out the snow blower and getting it started sorry that's a midwestern reference but um uh, <laughs> getting the snow blower started and like you know what i've got enough like i've got my warm clothes on might as well do my neighbor's sidewalk too um like the spiritual practice of just being enough in my body and enough in the moment to use the the limited energy that i have for you know the care of the neighbor as well and sometimes that means literal neighbor
0: i love that because i don't often i don't think i've ever thought of cooking as embodied but of course it is that is exactly what you're saying but i've actually never put that two together and i just love this idea of uh you know midwestern hot dish as a as a spiritual practice and and just for people listening and, and i mean you know this so well um I haven't been able to bake for months because of my my own depression and and um you know it's it's kind of a a burnout thing. But this past week I baked something. It was from a mix, but I added my own spice to it and um candied some oranges and used that orange syrup like in my coffee. And then I made my family a meal that felt very nourishing to all of us. And, And I'm like, yeah, this is this is supposed to be normal life, but life is not normal. And and these little things, like, mean a lot to me. And um, it's okay if you're in a place where you don't have the energy to cook. Like, if that's you listening to this, both me and Emmy, you know, we we see you, we hear you. Um, and there's going to come a day where you can cook again, and that's going to be okay. But for now, I hope there's people that bring you casseroles. So, Oh, I just love it. And I I seriously feel like I'm going to have to have you back on because we only scratched the surface of your intentionality um, that you use with everything you do. So I would really encourage people, find Emmy on um, all the social medias. And you've mentioned TikTok a few times. Um, (sighs) TikTok is awesome. And I don't feel any shame in saying that. I am on TikTok way more than I'm on any other social media platform right now. Is that true for you?
1: Um...
0: Just for scrolling, I can't scroll right yeah, now. We're in a freaking yeah. war with Ukraine, and yeah, like, you know what? Yeah, I can't. I cannot be engaging in spaces, but TikTok is different because the for you page gets acclimated to like the things you like, and so it's just kind of things you like on there. So you know, that's I'm and enjoying I- it over there.
1: Like I have a TikTok account. It's got like 12 videos on it or something Um, from days when I actually have the energy to like put on makeup and and make a video. um, And, and I love being on a social media platform where I don't feel like I need to contribute. Exactly. Like I just um, like Twitter, yes. Twitter Instagram, Facebook. I'm always just like, okay, well, here's like, here's a work message that someone sent me or like, oh man, I got to update this thing mm-hmm. or this crisis is happening and I got to tweet about it. And TikTok is just like, Look at all these little teenagers. Look at them just having fun. Look at them making silly videos. I'm so proud of them. Oh, my God. Look at this, like, amazing trans woman who's come out later in life and transitioned and is now, like, teaching other women how to be handy um, in this super accessible, loving way. Like, it's, just so awesome. it. it's so awesome. People, People are flying there their
0: flags over there you know and yeah. we get to just participate and it's really exciting um, but you are a great Twitter follower I love following you on Twitter um, I would highly recommend to pick up both of your books and uh, to be a part of this Emmaus Table thing there's just there's some exciting stuff going and and just following you makes me feel excited about being a Christian which most other things in my life do not make me feel that way so just thank you for you know bringing your whole self to this conversation just like you bring your whole self to everything and thanks for being a heretic i don't want to gloss over the fact that you holding these communion these online communion spaces like it sucks that it's heretical because it doesn't feel heretical um but you know we live in that tension of it is and it isn't (laughs)
1: Yeah, I think I mean I haven't gotten in trouble yet. I think there's enough going on in the ELCA and in the world that I'm I'm not gonna get in trouble, but I think in a in a calmer time I might be oh. in, I might be getting phone calls.
0: The one oh. silver lining of this time is the heretics are allowed to shine and do what they wanna do. But thank yep. you so much. I mean, anything else for how people can find you?
1: No, um, yeah, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all at Emmy Kegler. That's E-M-M-Y-K-E-G-L-E-R. You can also find me, um, my, I have a website at emmikegler.com, um, which has, you know, scatterings of different writings and other podcasts that I do. I do record another podcast um, that drops weekly. I'm a co-host on Cafeteria Christian, along with Nora McInerney, uh, my friend Natalia Turfa, and Jesse Ross. Um, all of them are my friend, actually. Yeah. Um, my one friend and um yeah i just like thank you for having me it's just so lovely to just get sit down and talk to you and like hear your laugh and see your face it's just it's just lovely it's lovely thank you so much for being here yeah